We can be dream makers, nurturing, compassionate. Nosotros podemos ser más unidos. We can be anything. I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. American cities that grew out of and defined the Industrial Age were founded on the energy and hard work of immigrants who gave power to steel mills, built majestic buildings, and contributed culture to its streets and neighborhoods. But that was never without pain or struggle. And today's immigrants face many of the same biases and obstacles as their predecessors, including divisive rhetoric from some of our highest government officials. It is an incredibly challenging and volatile climate. But it is out of this atmosphere and with enormous hope that Betty Cruz founded Change Agency in 2016. Today we talk to Betty about building welcoming and inclusive communities, the stories of Pittsburgh's modern-day immigrants, and what she's learned about herself through her own journey from Miami to the Midwest. Betty, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I've had the opportunity to know you over a number of years. You used to work in the mayor's office as director of special initiatives, which is really where we got to know each other. And now you've gone off to lead this organization that's really focused on promoting a welcoming and inclusive community. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up and how you came to have the values that you do. Yeah, so my parents immigrated from Cuba in the early 70s with my brother and landed in Miami. And then a couple years after that, I was born. They worked day and night. I mean, I remember being a little girl asking my mom, I, you know, I just want to see you. When when can you be home? Because first my dad started off as a waiter. My mom was doing laundry and ironing clothes and, and housekeeping and things of that sort. And then they were able to save up enough and open up their own small little what you would say in English diner, we say cafeteria, cafeteria. And that's the world that I always grew up in. So they were working six days a week, 12 to 15 hour days, constantly talking about the family they left. I was surrounded by by Cuban culture uh, because my mom doesn't speak English and because they left so much family behind. That was my everything. It's their work ethic and dedication really has shaped me. In many ways, it's the classic American dream, American immigrant story. Did you ever, growing up, feel not welcome? I would say yes. There are definite reminders that took place even in Miami. Yeah. And there was a time that I was little and I was in a ceramic class with my mom. And I remember hearing the older women who ran the class speaking badly about my mom. And my mom doesn't speak English. So she couldn't understand and didn't say anything. So here you are, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, hearing these, these women say something badly about your mom and kind of rolling their eyes at her. But I will say it wasn't until I left Miami and moved to New York that I really felt like an outsider. It's so interesting, you know, in the States, we think of New York as such a cosmopolitan city. So what was it about New York that made you suddenly feel that? I hadn't gone to college yet, so I went to community college for a little bit and realized I was not ready and wasn't interested and went on to work in public relations for a number of years and was able to work my way up, and that's what took me to New York. And for the first time, I really felt surrounded by everyone had a degree and and surrounded by folks that were judging me for not having it and, and kind of turning their nose up at me. That experience was not was not a pleasant one. It was a rude awakening to being an other and, and coming from a different set of circumstances. I didn't wear, wear the fi- fancy designer clothes or anything like that. 
You carry that experience to our region, mm-hmm. and you came here originally for college. Is that correct? I came here originally for love. So uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's from Western Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. from Erie. So I actually went there first and went to Edinburgh and then um, moved to Pittsburgh to go to grad school. I'm curious, for somebody coming from Miami and then New York, what was it like coming to Western Pennsylvania? There was definitely a a culture shock both ways, I would say. I had never been exposed to so many Eastern European names, so there's still a lot of names that I can't pronounce and I butcher and I try to get right. Little things like that, and I don't think I had had pierogies or corned beef and hash and sauerkraut before, and my husband always laughs at how he's exposed me to the the finer foods. But I think that the flip side of that was feeling a bit exoticized. Another aspect of that would be, do people welcome you or not? And I'm just curious about your journey to wanting to work on making this a welcoming region, which is in many ways one of the most loaded notions in our culture at the moment. So when you came here, did you feel welcome? I always felt that Pittsburgh was a friendly place, an authentic place. It has a scrappiness. It's everything Miami isn't, basically. Mm. And I loved that about the city. What um, struck me more was how people didn't understand why an outsider would want to be here. Like, Mm. oh, you like it here. Whoa, what do you like about this place? So the kind of self-esteem issue that maybe Pittsburghers have always struck me. But I did find it to be friendly. Now, I think welcoming is different than a friendly place. And I think that's the rub. It's very, very hard to break in here. It's very, very hard to make real friendships and networks. That was, I think, the differentiating point. You've described two of the traits of Pittsburgh that really struck me when I came here. One was the surprise people have that anybody from outside would move here. (laughs) Uh, I think a lot of communities are that way. But we once had an arts leader who described Pittsburgh as suffering from mass hysterical low (laughs) self-esteem. A grocery store in a neighborhood just south of downtown Pittsburgh was recently vandalized with anti-immigrant hate graffiti. Change Agency, which works to promote a more welcoming region for all, stepped in to help. Las Palmas sidewalk taco stand is fast becoming a favorite Pittsburgh lunch spot, but The words painted on the side of this Mexican grocery store were outrageous. It's happened before. Yeah. And you've had tires slashed? Yeah. (laughs) And my van, and then Las Palmas van, and then somebody's crashing my truck, so I have to paint over. Yeah, they couldn't go back to Mexico. The store owner is not intimidated one bit. And all these communities support me, Allah. Yeah. I mean, Allah. It's It's what I got for all this community. You're familiar with the Mexican grocer in a neighborhood called Brookline, who's been repeatedly vandalized and the target of really what can only be characterized as racist attacks. Do you think it's unique to Pittsburgh in any way? Yes, we've definitely seen and and heard about these incidents. Obviously, we, we know that this has increased since the election. That has been happening before Trump. And it's only escalated in nature since then. Unfortunately, it's not unique to Pittsburgh. Mm. It's reflective of America. Mm. This is America. So this talk about this isn't who we are. No, it's exactly who we are. A challenging concept because you're basically asking the country to look itself in the mirror. And some folks are very uncomfortable doing that. 
The president, I think, exacerbated what you're describing when he reportedly described countries in Africa and Haiti in the most negative possible terms. I think you just touched on this, but have you seen a marked erosion in the community conversation around race and inclusion since the president took office? I think what I'm hearing more from the community partners that we work with and what we're seeing on the ground is an outpour of individuals who want to show that they do not believe those views, they do not stand by that, they stand with the community. So there has been a huge increase in people saying, I want to help, what can I do to show that that's not who I am, right? To really walk the walk on it and not just make a statement. But it's emboldened, as we know, these voices, these sentiments, these passive racist incidents to be a little bit louder. You know, the work at the local level continues. Thankfully, these hateful words and decisions are only making that base stronger in terms of the base that wants to support the immigrants that are here, that wants to support our communities of color. So I don't know that it's fully eroding it. I think it's just the line is so divided in the sand. I don't know that the folks that feel this way and that agree with the president's statements, I don't know that they're ever still encountering or experiencing and being exposed to other communities. Mm -hmm. So as long as that divide is still there, whether it's a rural-urban divide, and it's more than that, right? Because we know that neighborhoods like Beechwood and Brookline, which have a large growth of the Latino community and others and refugees, they are still seeing very much a clash with their neighbors that have long lived there. It's uh, outside of the, the choir issue, right? So people who have been open already or curious already are maybe being encouraged because of the negativity to go further and do more. But those who feel left out for other reasons or just hate others or don't want to connect aren't coming out, you know? Now, has anyone ever heard the snake that I read every once in a while? I can do it if you'd like. Should I do it or not? Take me in, oh tender woman, take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, oh tender woman, sighed the broken snake. Now she clutched him to her bosom. You're so beautiful, she cried. But if I hadn't brought you in by now, you certainly might have died. Now she stroked his pretty skin and then she kissed and held him tight. But instead of saying thank you, that snake gave her a vicious bite. I saved you, cried the woman, and you've bit me. Heavens, why? Oh, shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. The snake, because people are coming across our border, people are coming in and brought into our country. That's exactly what's going on here. You know, we've seen this president leverage exactly the sentiment that you're describing. And in my experience, he's the most divisive president I've ever witnessed. One argument that is made by 
his supporters is that they feel as though conversations about race or about inclusion or about diversity leave them out of the equation. And I'm curious in your work how you reflect on that and and how you answer that. Yeah, it's something that we're grappling with and trying to figure out what place we can have in that conversation because it's a much needed piece of this this puzzle and we have hosted community meetings. We have a series called From Other to Us that we've done as part of the All for All initiative to tell those stories and show how you go from being the other to being part of us and what and what that means and what that struggle looks like for each of those communities. But at the end of the day, the individuals that show up are those who, like I said, are already there. Mm-hmm. They already get it. Maybe they want to learn a bit more. They find those dialogues rewarding and it's been great. But we're not quite reaching those folks who just don't feel that they even want to engage or just don't see any benefit to having you know people from diverse backgrounds and perspectives at the table. I love what you just said, though, about the value of sharing stories, because I think, you know, it's been said that it's impossible to hate somebody whose story you know. Mm-hmm. Is there been anybody along the way whose story has particularly grabbed you or a person you've encountered whose experience has transformed how you're viewing the work that you're doing? I think it's a constant set of stories day in and day out. There's a few families that I've been connected to who are from Liberia and are living in the Mon Valley and in desperate need of asylum, being able to connect them to an immigration attorney who's going to help them and hopefully get them where they need to be. And we did the immigrant workforce program and offered daycare on site to know that four of those families, four of the moms who participated and now have jobs as a result, wouldn't have been able to. And to see them coming in and building friendships and bringing food from their home country and having you know, something for their kids to do while they were able to, to advance and make important connections. Some of the, the negative stories that we hear in our community in terms of a reminder of the work that's needed is inspiring. The editorial that the Heinz Endowments and the Pittsburgh Foundation responded to is one example of that. And whenever we see institutions who are in a position of power really paying attention and stepping up, that's encouraging and inspires me and I know gives hope to the community. There are major gaps in our region. There's a lot of work to do. So I think it's exciting when we see these pieces starting to come together. It's daunting, too, because there is so much work to do. We're not, you know, a Philadelphia or, you know, New York or other regions that have had huge waves and constant waves of migration where these large immigrant communities are there. The service providers are all receiving, you know, the investments to do even more. We have a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And I think for the first time in the last few years, combining that with the political will and the philanthropic support, we're finally seeing it come together. So it's those individual small stories here and there that I think make up the whole story that that I find inspiring. It's an interesting piece of Pittsburgh's history that one of the reasons we came to be the most white large city in the United States is 
because we missed out on about 40 yeah. years of immigration due to the economic collapse and then plateauing. Now that that's changing, you're beginning to see the very dynamic that you're describing. In early 2018, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette published an editorial that attempted to defend the president's widely condemned shithole countries remarks. A joint response from the Heinz Endowments and Pittsburgh Foundation went viral and said in part, Perhaps the central point of contention in this nation's immigration debate is the role of race and racism in deciding who is welcome here. No serious person disagrees we should have secure borders. But who gets to come inside those borders and how that's decided and how to ensure it is done fairly and without bias is the fundamental question. Pittsburgh, like many communities around the country, still struggles with becoming the sort of fair and inclusive community where all feel welcome and have the real opportunity to thrive. We remain committed to that goal and believe we can get there. I should um, add, you referenced the editorial that appeared in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Does it make a difference when people who are outside of the traditional immigration debate step in and say something about it? Yes, 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 so much so. Even if it didn't make a difference to the political landscape, even if it didn't make a difference to what we're experiencing, the community hears you, and that's important. Thank you for that. I, sometimes I think people in the community more broadly struggle with the idea that this is their debate. If they're not touched personally by having immigrants in their midst, how would you make the case to people in our region that this is their issue, even if it doesn't affect them directly? I feel that a lot of times the things that we say are lacking in our backyard, maybe it's we're in a community that's now experiencing a high level of blight. Maybe we are living in neighborhoods where the small business just isn't able to open its doors and main streets are not energized. Maybe there's a lack of a feeling of community, of culture, and folks are still bleeding out because that's still happening in our region in different pockets, right? They want better opportunity. They want to feel safe. They want to feel like they're in, a, in an interesting and engaging community that's neighborly. All of those things are actually remedied when you have diverse communities and when you embrace and welcome immigrants. So we know that communities with a high number of immigrants are safer. We know that blight goes down. There's more homeowners. We know that people who are here because they're fleeing certain circumstances, whether it's economic opportunity or they're fleeing for their lives, they want stability and they want to set roots. The Islamic Center of Pittsburgh is a place of prayer and a community center. The executive director here feels the implications of President Trump's executive orders are shocking. I mean, we've had thousands of uh, refugees come to this greater Pittsburgh area, and you don't see that there's an epidemic of violence at all. You know, most refugees, over 50% of them are children. You know, obviously they're not the terrorists that people are afraid of. These people come, they contribute, they work hard. 
We talk so much also about how immigrants are entrepreneurs. That's also because of necessity. That's also because people, unfortunately, aren't taking a risk on them, just like they're not taking a risk on Black Americans because of racist views, because they don't understand them, uh, they don't understand their credentials. That same struggle, that same outsiderness, that same racist view, that same, I don't want you to be a part of this, is what they've been experiencing. So we have to do more to find opportunities to shine the light on that truth and so that the opportunities that can come from opening doors for immigrants also has a positive impact on all communities of color. When you inject a community with that life of different experiences, it is better for the whole community. Now, how you get someone who doesn't see that to see that without experiencing it, I don't know. It strikes me that the piece of this, when we talk about why it's important for everybody to care, that we tend to leave off the table because it's harder to quantify, is the old-fashioned but very true notion that we're all degraded by inhumane treatment of each other. That includes vulgarity and crassness from the president. It includes racism from your neighbor next door. We all suffer as a result from that. And it diminishes the whole community, including our own lives. It makes us small, I think, in many ways. One of the ways in which we see that dynamic playing out, unfortunately, in Pittsburgh is with ICE raids being used against families locally and immigrant families living in fear of having a family member deported, uh, dreamers in our community uh, living in fear of being deported. Can you say something about how you're witnessing that experience and what's going on? So our work really centers on working with the community leaders, the organizations that are on the front lines. So in many ways, I tend to be more removed. I'm not there with the family who is seeing that ICE is camped out in front of their house and is afraid to send their son to school. But I'm hearing of those stories from our community organizations that are on the front lines, organizations like Casa San Jose and others that are working with the Latino community. Obviously, the Latino Community Center is a newly created organization also for that reason of, of better engaging Latino families in our in our region. That said, it's happening in our backyard. We know that ICE has a presence where they're doing just that. They're camping out in front of folks' homes. They're um, watching buses when they're coming home from school. So it is a constant state of fear. Is, is today going to be the day when we become the national story of a parent that was picked up while picking up their child at the bus stop? We know that there have been numerous families that have been separated. And this also is dating back to before Trump but we know that it's escalated significantly. So the fear in the community is real. And the appreciation that I have for the organizations that are on the front lines, educating communities every day to make sure that they know what their rights are. I mean, this is the new normal, to know mm. how and when to open the door to somebody and who you're letting in to what's supposed to be a safe space and how we build more safe spaces in our region. When I hear these stories, it feels so much like mm. this is not who we are or who right. we should be, who, who we should want to be. And the notion of splitting up families and taking away from our midst children who have only ever known the United States or taking away people who are working hard here and who are contributing as community members. 
it's difficult to comprehend why that makes sense for us. So you asked before about a community member and, and um, the specific story and, and in this conversation around families being torn apart, I'd be remiss not to mention Martin Esquival Hernandez, who is a community member who was deported, I believe it was a year ago now, And he was very active in our community. He was active in two churches, part of his children's parent-teacher organization. Um, he was a hard worker, and his life was at risk. And that's why he tried to cross the border multiple times and finally succeeded, made it to Pittsburgh, only to have been sent back. We are all Martin, an immigrant that left his home and his country to start a new life far from the delinquency and voids that exist in those countries. Martin is a man that always has found ways to help others without thinking of himself. We are all Martin. We are all immigrants. Your ancestors in one moment also came here like we did. One thing I've heard from the grassroots, the community organizations that again are on the front lines is that his story actually, as horrible as it was, it gave the community a gift, which was a gift of mobilizing. Our community is now better prepared with a rapid response system, with community partners that are working even more closely together as a result of his story. And I think it's an important one that we should all know. It's a sad truth that sometimes it takes something negative for people to mobilize and begin to focus on what's important to them. Do we know, is he safe? I believe so, yes, so far. I've, as far as I, I know. Mm -hmm. Betty, your story is so interesting, your self-awareness about um, the journey you've been on and the range of work that you're doing is such an asset to Pittsburgh. You embody, I think, the movement to change not just our community, but the country, and thank you for the work that you're doing in that respect. Thank you, and thank you for the Heinz Endowments for the work that you're doing and for making All for All possible. At a time when there is so much vitriol and divisiveness in our society, Betty Cruz's work reminds us how much we have in common and that the very strength of this nation of immigrants lies in our capacity to welcome and embrace not only a diverse people, but change itself. Mm -hmm.